If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to the book of Galatians. If you don't have a, a, a bulletin, put up your hand and Suzanne Rant will bring you one so that you can have a sermon outline over the other side there, Suzanne. Right over to Lazarus there. And inside your program is a little outline. I've done it a little differently this week for you to follow along. We are coming toward the end of our long, we're in the 23rd week of our study of the book of Galatians, coming down the home stretch here. And I want to read from Galatians 6, verses 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So far, the reading of God's Word. In 1971, my father bought a farm 53 miles north of where we lived in Pittsburgh, a little second home. 60 acres on a beautiful mountaintop with a natural gas well and a water well. And um, he paid $7,100 for 60 acres and that great land there. And it was a magical place for us. In fact, my dad just had a way about him. He even tamed a pet deer, a wild deer. And he was a great woodsman and a, and a, a wonderful mechanic, a scholar and a teacher. And right behind those trees that are behind my dad there is where he had a special field where he grew sweet corn. And his dream was always to have a place where he could put a pot of water on to boil. And as it began to boil, he'd go out into the field, pick the corn, shuck the corn, rush back in and drop it in the bucket and into the pot and blanch it for a couple of minutes, and then we'd gather around and slather it with butter and salt and have a feast. And we did. It was a wonderful place. This is what it looked like on the other side of the field. And there's nothing like sweet corn. But if you want to grow sweet corn, do you know what you need? You need corn seed. If you take pumpkin seeds and you put them in the ground, what will you get? Pumpkins. Will you get corn? You will not get corn. There is a law in nature that says you only reap what you sow. It's true in the physical world. God made everything after its own kind. There's order in this universe. And so if you plant corn, you will reap corn. And this is where Paul is taking us in this lesson today. And he says that there are physical laws in the universe, and we can learn there are also spiritual laws in the universe. As I told you, we're coming to the close of our study in the book of Galatians. 
And it has all been about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel of justification by faith alone, by grace alone. That the work of Jesus Christ accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves, right? He accomplished our justification, our redemption, and our adoption, and brought us into God's family. And our works contributed what to that? Zero. Salvation, for Paul, he makes it so clear, is by grace. And oh, how we celebrate that we are saved by grace. But friends, the grace of God is not cheap grace. And what we're learning in the last portion of this book is that God's grace in our lives is not only saving grace, but it is also transforming grace. Did you know that? Did you pick up on that in these past few weeks? The term cheap grace is is a term actually that was coined by Dietrich Bonhoeffer in a book He wrote, entitled The Cost of Discipleship, in 1937. And Bonhoeffer, as you know, was a wonderful and profound Christian thinker. And he says that he worries about this concept that infects the church, where people get this idea of forgiveness with no effect on their lives at all. Forgiveness is great. But is there repentance? Is there discipleship? Is there a desire to know Jesus, not just as Savior, but to know Him as Lord? And Bonhoeffer pleads with the church, do not presume that there is such a thing as cheap grace. Do not cheapen what Jesus did for you. God's grace is saving grace, but it is also transforming grace. And so, as he begins this passage he starts with a phrase that is common in the New Testament. He says, number one, do not be deceived. Or we would say, don't kid yourself. And whenever Paul says this, do not be deceived, he's saying, listen, don't kid yourself. We are easily deceived people. And the New Testament tells us we get deceived by, well, there's a little list in 1 John. We get deceived by the world, the flesh, and the devil. And We should expect that. The devil is called the father of lies, right? So we know Satan would be delighted if you and I believed all kinds of nonsense. He's the father of lies. He would have us deceived. But, you know, for Paul, he's deeply concerned about what is translated the flesh. And here he's not talking about the human body. He's talking about the sinful nature. The word translated flesh there, it means the sinful nature or the old man that dogs us through life, nipping at our heels, and it can deceive us. I read this uh, month a brilliant article by a man named Alistair Roberts, and the title of it is this, Why We Shouldn't Trust Our Stories. And the thrust of this article is that he's calling Christian people to be suspicious of the stories they tell themselves about themselves. Okay, did you you catch that? He says, I'm calling all of us to be less trusting of the stories that we tell ourselves and more prepared 
to subject those stories to the external judgment and critique of those who know us. He's saying, husbands, don't just tell yourself your story. <laughs> Ask your wife. You know, I have this great picture of myself as being so tidy. <laughs> But ask my wife. We deceive ourselves. Why is that? He says, my story is a story that I tell myself about myself in order to account for what I'm doing. And he goes on to say, often my story is a tissue of lies, tissue paper, a tissue of lies designed to protect me from the unwelcome reality of who I am. I got a postcard from someone many years ago. I wish I had kept it. It's, it, it the front, it said, Greetings from the state of denial. <laughs> Not Virginia or Montana. Greetings from the state of denial. And I had this picture of a woman trying to get her jeans on. She's trying to fit the jeans on, and she says to herself, they must have shrunk in the dryer. <laughs> we easily deceive ourselves. You know, that check engine light, it's going to go off eventually. Everything will be fine. This sore tooth, it's going to make itself better. We believe what we want to believe. We tell ourselves stories. Self-deception, it's all through the, the Bible. But then, of course, it's not just the flesh, but it's also the world. We get deceived by the world. Again, what Alistair Roberts calls uh, his description of our culture's catastrophic moral blindness. What a term. That the world all around us is governed by a catastrophic moral blindness. And one of his Do Not Be Deceived passages that I put in your program, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we live in a, in a culture that actually glamorizes and promotes the very list of things. And, and this is just, this is not an exhaustive catalog of, of sins that disqualify people from the kingdom of God, but it's, it's quite a list. And it's sort of, it's a list of sexual issues, and it's a list of struggles with money, and it's a list of talking about alcohol and booze and drugs and it's all cataloged right there. So interesting. Sexual immorality. John Freeman, who is the executive director of Harvest USA, he's spoken in our church. It's a wonderful ministry to people with sexual brokenness in their lives. And he was interviewed in the Table Talk magazine this month. And he says, sex is the chief place where the human heart goes for relief of isolation and for counterfeit worship. Wow, what a thought. And then our culture has embraced 
homosexual relations, which, which according to Scripture, is a perversion of God's intention for intimacy between a man and a woman, between the male and female made in the image of God to be united in the covenant of companionship. And the culture shouts at us, and it says, why look, it's, it's between consenting adults and nobody's hurt. And you, and you understand why they say that. They say that because the world's ethics are governed by those two principles. Is it consensual? Was anybody hurt? Well, that's it. Then it's okay. And as we say in the Tuesday night men group, men's group often, look, we shouldn't be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians, okay? So if you huff and puff and wag your finger and say, oh, those bad people, well, why would we be surprised when folks who don't have a personal relationship with the Lord act like they don't have a personal relationship with the Lord. And so we need to be respectful of all people. And, and yet, yet I'll tell you, you know, I was asked, since we're on the subject, Pastor John, uh, homosexual marriage, gay marriage is, is now sweeping the country and spanning the globe. Would, would you perform a gay marriage at the North Shore Community Church? And I said, no, I wouldn't. And the person stiffened, and you could tell they were now ready to see me as a politically incorrect enemy and unkind person. I said, no, I wouldn't, and here's why. I said, it's because it's, it's a parody and a gross misrepresentation of what God created and what God blessed at the beginning and it actually exalts sexual acts that the Scripture reveals as perverse. So, no. And so he talks about sexual issues. He talks about drunkenness and alcohol use. I am absolutely amazed at how much alcohol is consumed both outside the church but also inside the church. And every day when I see, the, you know, I am a sports fan, so what do we see on sports, on TV? Commercials for beer. And every commercial comes on, and, and it's beer and wine and hard liquor, and it's saying, you can't have fun unless you indulge in intoxication. You can't, there's just no fun without it. And we begin to be deceived and to say, yeah, I guess that's true. And so, I, I, you know, I just ask you, I don't know, the past five years? How many times have you so indulged that your judgment was cloudy, that your speech was uninhibited, that you said things you never would have said or should have said because you had a second, a third, a fourth, or whatever it is? right there in Paul's list. If you are trapped in this, don't kid yourself. 
just because it's socially acceptable to get drunk, and you were wise enough to have a designated driver. Congratulations. It must be fine. Hmm. And he talks about money. Oh, my gosh. Sex and, 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 and wine and now money. He talks about greed and swindling. The love of money gone wicked. And you know what Paul says about all these things? He says, listen, God is not mocked. The, the literal translation is don't turn up your nose at God on these things. How we live apparently matters to God. And this leads to point number two. It comes back to my dad planting corn in order to get corn. There's a spiritual principle, and that principle is you reap what you sow. For what, verse 7, For whatever one sows, that also will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And he lays hold one more time of this very helpful agricultural metaphor, the planting of seeds. And he says, do you want a spiritually rich and healthy life? Wouldn't you like that? Then watch what you sow. Watch what you plant in your life. Jesus Christ loves you. Jesus Christ has saved you, but He does it on His own terms, not on your terms. This is important. He loves you so much. He is so eager for your life to be blessed and to bring glory to God, but He does it on His own terms, not on your terms, okay? I'm telling, I'm preaching to myself here, okay? And what are God's terms for salvation? Well, the first four chapters of the book of Galatians, His terms of salvation are grace, 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 not by works, but by grace. For it is only Jesus Christ who was born of a woman, born under the law, who redeems those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. We could never earn our adoption or prove ourselves worthy of justification. So God's terms are come to me by faith. That's number one, faith alone. But then his terms continue, and he says, my saving grace leads to transforming grace. Now, When my dad bought that farm in 1971, this is what it looked like. This is it. Yes, sitting on 60 acres of wild, untamed land. We had a natural gas well. The gas was just shooting up into the sky, uncapped, for like 20 years, wasting away. All of that, he had had to cap it. The windows were broken. Thieves had stolen the copper wire out of the walls. And, you know, my dad wanted to keep me out of trouble as a teenager, and so he taught me all kinds of plumbing and electrical work and and basic carpentry. And this is what the place became over the course of my teenage years. And you can see this was his vegetable garden. The cornfield was across. You can't see it. The cornfield was directly across the driveway. And it was transformed. How beautiful. 
This is you before Christ. This is you outside of Christ. This is you in Christ. This is you growing in Christ. And so, to just use this agricultural metaphor because it's in my blood because of my dear father and mother who were wonderful gentlemen farmers, you have to ask, what kind of sowing or planting am I doing? There's bad sowing in this text and there's good sowing in this text, right? Two kinds. And sowing to the flesh means that you are allowing the old nature just to have its way with you. And sowing to the Spirit means allowing the Spirit of Jesus Christ to have His way in your life. Okay? So let's think for about bad sowing for a few moments. Let's make a quick list. This is my list. What's on your list? Do you have a grudge against somebody? And are you nursing that grudge? Do you entertain impure fantasies, sexual fantasies? Do you wallow in self-pity? Do you hang around with bad company? Remember in the, the earlier verse, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts. Do you indulge in substances that corrupt your judgment and loosen your foolish tongue? John Stott, that's his list. And he says, when you do that, you're sowing, sowing, sowing to the flesh. And Paul says it leads to corruption. And the word translated corruption is appropriately used for roadkill on the side of the road on a hot Arizona highway in the sun. You might use it to describe egg salad left on the picnic table in August. And it becomes corrupt. That's what happens when we sow to the flesh. A gradual decay. And you see it in husbands and wives who over the course of their marriage, allow anger and bitterness to build without ever addressing the issues and then reconciling. You see it in Christian businessmen and Christian businesswomen who cut corners here and there in order to maximize their profit, but dishonestly and so spoil their client list who turn away from them. You see this in Christian students who cheat in school, on exams, because they're afraid if they don't cheat, they won't get the grade they need to get into the college their parents are expecting them to get into. You see it in people who say, oh, I can stop drinking anytime until they can't. Nobody, nobody goes into a, a sexual relationships and says, gee, today I hope I get herpes. Nobody has a couple of drinks and climbs behind the wheel of a car and says, gee, today I want to destroy the lives of an unsuspecting family. Nobody says, I'm going to lie today and I hope I get caught Exposed and humiliated. 
How do those things happen? Because we are deceived and then we sow to the flesh. Okay, so that's, that's the bad kind of sowing, but that's not the kind of sowing we want to do. Not we who belong to Jesus. What do we want to do? We want to sow to the Spirit, and that means allowing the Spirit of Jesus to have His way in our lives. And, and so I listed a couple good, good sowing patterns. You know, uh, the one that Paul picks up on several times is generosity. And I'm not just talking putting, you, you know, your dollar in the offering plate. I'm saying... Paul says, if you, and Jesus taught, if you have a generous lifestyle, you're going to reap bountifully. It's very different from prosperity religion that says you're going to get rich if you do what the preacher says. I'm just telling you, Jesus says, if you're a generous person, you're going to reap a harvest. My wife, I told you, she's always looking for ways to give things away to people. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. My daughter's that way. My son is that way. The one thing they really got from their mother. It's a beautiful thing. Are you a generous person? Are you a peace-loving person? In the book of James, it says that those people who promote peace are going to experience a harvest of righteousness. Wow. Are you a peacemaker or a war maker? Let's be peacemakers. Let's reconcile with somebody we're struggling with. Let's, let's help others who are at odds with each other get along. Let's be peacemakers. Jesus says you're going to reap. The, when that plant comes up, it's going to be a harvest of righteousness. It's not complicated. Paul If you've been half awake a third of the time in the past month in these sermons, Paul uses these phrases. They are synonyms for each other. They come back. He says, says, walk in the Spirit, Galatians 5.16. Be led by the Spirit, Galatians 5.18. Keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25. And here he says to us, so to the Spirit. It's all the same thing. Jesus, let your spirit guide me. That's how I want to live. And you find yourself desiring that you would live for God's pleasure instead of your own. That's what happens. I'm sure there are some people who are thinking right now, who can do this? Who can live like this? And in some sense, every one of us should suddenly sigh and say, who can live like this? And if you're just going to jump up and down and say, me, me, I can, I'm perfect at it, you are deceived. Because there was only one who was filled with the Spirit and who reaped eternal life. And who was that? In Luke 4, verse 1, as he is being led into the wilderness to face all the forces of hell, we are told Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, went out to do battle. Jesus, again and again, in touch with the Spirit, with the joy of the Spirit inside of us, Jesus Christ did what we could never do. 
And we are told he was obedient. Why? The Spirit made him perfectly obedient. Did you know that? Philippians 2 says he was obedient unto death all the way. All the way obedient. Tempted like us in all things. You never know how strong temptation is until you resist it the whole way. And he was tempted like us in everything but never sinned. To the point of death. And do you know what happened at that death on the cross? Oh, my friends, at the death of Jesus on the cross, there was a reaping. There was a reaping. He reaped what we sowed, our sins, our transgressions. And Isaiah 53 tells us, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, And afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement, the chastisement that we, the scolding, the disapproval, the shame that we deserved was upon him. And with his wounds we are healed. But you know what else he reaped? He did reap what he sowed, and I'll tell you why. Because we are told that our Savior became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. And do you know the very next word? Therefore, as a result of what he sowed. Oh, here's his reaping. Here's his harvest. God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm saved by his grace. Have you been saved by his grace? Have you? Have you noticed that now your heart is resting in Christ alone for your salvation? Put your trust in Jesus. Lay down all your performance and trust in Him. But when you do, then you ask the second question. Not only are you being saved by His grace, but are you being transformed by His grace that will accompany this in your life? Do you hear His call in your life today? Is He speaking to your heart? Do you hear His call? I I love you. I want you. I want to change you. Then, now you ask... What kind of seed will I sow? What sort of seed will I plant this afternoon and tomorrow and the day after that? What will I sow? Hmm. This agricultural metaphor is brilliant. Have you ever heard of the word, the term atrazine? Anybody ever heard of atrazine? Atrazine is a chemical that is used to kill all kinds of weeds, but it lets corn live. And my dad was an engineer, and he would read up, and he says, you know, son, we've we got to go to the agriculture store and buy some atrazine. I still remember this. And we go down to the agway, and, and my dad waltzes in, and he says, we want to buy some atrazine. And the guy said, well, how much do you want? He says, well, for about half an acre. <laughs> you know, this guy's used to selling to hundreds and hundreds of acres, but, but my dad didn't care. I want enough for half an acre of sweet corn. 
And what the atrazine does, it's, it's, it's a brilliant uh, uh, chemical that stops all the other weeds from growing and allows corn to grow freely. Atrazine is to corn what the cross of Jesus Christ is to your souls. When you learn to go back again and again to the cross of Christ, when Jesus keeps you near the cross, not just the guilt of sin, but the power of sin begins to dissolve in your life. And He sets you free. You know what a temptation is? A temptation is an invitation. Okay? A temptation is not a sin. A temptation is just an invitation to respond to your sinful impulses. And so the the invitation comes asking, saying, we desire the honor of your presence at this computer site that will pollute your eyes and corrupt your soul. You get an invitation, and the invitation says, we desire the honor of your presence in the bed of someone who is not your spouse. We desire the honor of your presence at the bar. We desire the honor of your presence where you can position yourself so you can look off the test paper of the kid next to you. Okay? Temptation is an invitation. It's not sin. But now you have to RSVP. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? Now you sow the seed to the Spirit. You say, Lord, I'm giving you my life right now. I might get an F on this test, but I'm saying no to that invitation. Okay? I'm saying no to that invitation. You know, I know people. I think some of the people that I am proudest of knowing are people who've been set free from alcohol and and drug abuse. Some are Christians, some are not. You can, you can get free, but I don't care. I mean, I just tell you, these are some of the most fantastic people that I've ever met. And I've seen them. And in story after story, when they tell me their story, they usually say, not always, but they usually say, there came a day when that invitation came to me and I said, enough. Enough. And they still remember. They still remember, whether it was with a friend or it was alone I said, enough. I'm not going to return this invitation, and I'm going to get help, and I'm going to move forward. Today, will you surrender? That's what sowing to the Spirit is, walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. It's surrender. It's the old Western when the marshal says, come out with your hands up. Are you ready to say that to Jesus Christ today? I surrender. I submit. Your way is better than my way. I've been deceiving myself. I've, I've been a fool. And you know what happens? Here's what happens. You get eternal life. He says, you get eternal life. Do you earn eternal life by these new good works? What does the text say? Does the text say you earn eternal life? It doesn't. It says you get eternal life from the Spirit. 
That, too, is a gift from God that the Spirit worked in you. Salvation is all by grace. We Presbyterians have it right. Salvation from beginning to end is all by grace. It's all the work of God, the Father who planned salvation, Christ the Son who accomplished salvation, God the Holy Spirit who works salvation through and through us. He gets all the glory. What a great way to live. What a great theology to believe. It's what the Bible teaches. And He gets all the glory. And then you do good works. Some people believe, mistakenly, that being filled with the Spirit is having this this moment of ecstasy, you know, some ecstatic shiver down your spine. I'm filled with the Spirit because I'm, I'm so full of ecstasy, but that's not where Paul takes it. You know where Paul takes it. When you're sowing to the Spirit, when you're led by the Spirit, when you're walking in the Spirit, it's that you do good things. (laughs) Look at what he says. He says, So then as we have opportunity, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. And you do good! Your life becomes a blessing because you do good, because you're filled with the Spirit, because you're led by the Spirit. You've got mud on your shoes and dirt on your hands, but you're doing good. You're helping, you're blessing, you're touching, you're giving yourself away to others. That's what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. North Shore Community Church, can that be us? Let that be us. That's what I want. And I know that's what we want together, filled with His Spirit, reaping a harvest of doing good to bless others so that the world will see not us, but Him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are humbled. Every one of us, we are humbled. We invite you to uncloud our eyes where we are self-deceived or deceived by the world or deceived by the devil. We say, teach us your truth. Show us yourself. Show us ourselves. And we pray as we tend to that farm of our life that we would scatter the seed to the Spirit and say, fill us with your Spirit. We surrender ourselves to you when the invitation comes and that we who are saved by your saving grace would experience, oh, we ask that we would experience your transforming grace. And I, and I offer a prayer for anyone here who would say, you know, I, I've never really gotten on board with Jesus, but today... I see a better way. I want to be on board with Jesus in my life. If that's you, today is the day that you trust Him as your Savior and your Lord. In His name we pray. Amen. Amen.